0: Hello, and welcome to The Verge Podcast, a part of the college and career ministry at First Baptist Dallas. I'm Kyle Wilson, and it's a pleasure to be a part of your day. I want to personally invite you to join us at our college and career ministry any Sunday at 9.15 a.m. or Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, check out firstdallas.org college. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday teachings, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's do it. Right, well... I hope you all are having a great morning and hope that you had a great week. Looking forward to jumping into week five of the book of James today, talking about uh, wisdom and humility and following up on what we talked about last week. But before we get into that, uh, let's just do again a little bit of background on the book of James. It was written by the half brother of Jesus. Uh, He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, uh, which is this first Christian community. Peter, at the time, had been the leader of this church, but he goes off and he starts to plant new churches and James steps into the role of pastor shepherd leader of this church in Jerusalem and he was there for 20 years and throughout this time he guided the church through famine poverty persecution and really this book has become a legacy of his wisdom now while the book of James does not um, act like a normal letter Uh, Because it is a letter, and it's an epistle. But it's not like Paul's letters, where he's writing to a specific uh, community like uh, Thessalonica or Colossae. But uh, rather, we see in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, that James is writing to what he calls the 12 tribes in dispersion. This is his home base, his community from the church of Jerusalem that have scattered out from Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. And this is why... Really, this book is so powerful and challenging because uh, it can encourage and challenge any and every community of faith in the past and the present because of its general audience. Um, it's also important to note that this book doesn't teach new theology. Rather, it seeks to challenge how the Christian reading it lives. The main goal of this book is that followers of Christ would become truly wise by living out Jesus' summary of the scriptures, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so last week, we kind of worked through this discourse on controlling the tongue. That uh, you and I have the ability uh, within our tongue to create uh, what Proverbs says is life and death. That we can create and we can destroy Uh, from our tongue. The duality is the poison of it, is what James says, that we can praise God with our tongues, but at the same time we can curse a man who is made in his image. And so controlling the tongue only comes, what we talked about last week, from controlling our mind and controlling our heart. But the question that we need to answer from there is, well, how do we control our mind and our heart? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to be uh, covering today. But uh, before we jump into it, let's start uh, this morning with the best way to start any morning. With a Lord of the Rings quote. Um, this is from the Fellowship of the Ring, and, and Frodo is talking to Gandalf and asking him to take uh, the Ring of Power. And, and this is what we see here in their um, discussion. Frodo says, You are wise and powerful. Will you not take the ring? No, Gandalf cried, springing to his feet. With that power, I should have a power too great and terrible, and over me the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed, and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me, for I do not wish to become like the Dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is by pity. Pity... For weakness and the desire of strength to do good, do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even to keep it safe, unused. If you're not familiar with The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is this this great powerful character. He's this character of wisdom and power. I mean, he is a wizard. The entire time, he embodies true wisdom by refusing the ring of power. It would make sense in the idea of he's a powerful character, so he should look for things that would make him more powerful, but rather he is finding true wisdom and true power by refusing the ring of power. He finds true power in knowing his weakness, that even in striving to do good, if he would wield power, it would corrupt him. Any other time throughout the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, a character tries to use the ring or to seek its power, they fail time and time again. Gandalf is wise by knowing that true power lies in his weakness. This is the key element to understanding the question that we need to ask today, which is how to tame the mind and heart. And to understanding everything that we're about to read is that there is true power through our weakness. Hold on to that thought because that's going to become important throughout everything that we do. But let's go ahead and dive into the book of James. We're starting in chapter 3, uh, verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to uh, chapter 4, verse 12. This is what it says Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show by his works, by good conduct, with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart don't brag and deny the truth such wisdom does not come from above but is earthly unspiritual and demonic for where envy and selfish ambition exist there is disorder and every kind of evil but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peace-loving gentle compliant full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy and the fruit of righteousness is sown in by peace by those who cultivate peace what is the source of wars and fights among you Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your own evil desires. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whatever... So whoever wants... To be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think that it's without reason the scriptures say that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, but he gives greater grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands sinners purify your hearts double minded people be miserable and mourn and weep your laughter must change into mourning and your joy into sorrow humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you don't criticize one another brothers he who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law but if you judge the law You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, one judge, who is able to save and destroy. who are you to judge your neighbor? So during this first part here in James chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 13, James is repeating a theme uh, that he has been working through his letter already time and time again. If you are wise and if you have faith, you need to prove it by your works. This time, though, in verse 13, uh, he begins to add a distinctive here that we haven't really seen so far, and that is wisdom's gentleness. Again, God is first and foremost concerned with the attitude of the heart. We can do great works, but if they are done with the wrong heart, it's totally meaningless. If we have faith, if we have trust in God, we ought to live that out by good works. That is James, one of James's definition of wisdom. But in that wisdom we have to have gentleness. Why? Well, because there are different types of works that are meaningless that aren't with gentleness. These are ones that James will describe as being fueled by bitter envy and selfish ambition. So bitter envy. Envy is wanting something that somebody else has, but bitter envy is wanting something that someone else has at the cost of them losing it. Not only do I want what they have, I want them to lose it. Not only do I want this promotion, but the person who earlier had gotten a promotion, I want them to get demoted. It's not enough for me to succeed. I want someone else to pay a cost because I believe that I'm better than them. This is a type of works that is meaningless. Is oh, I want to do good, but I want it to cost something to other people. The other type of works that uh, James describes as meaningless is selfish ambition. And ambition is a good thing. It can really get us far in life. It's a good thing to aspire to achieve great things. But selfish ambition, on the other hand, is wanting something more for the benefit of yourself it doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process it is i want to get ahead in life and i don't care whose back i have to step on in order to get to get there and it's really easy to spot this type of heart just look for the person who has to keep the focus on themselves uh, when they're doing work Is oh I'm doing these good things look at me, not necessarily what's happening not the people that I'm benefiting but look at me and praise me for the good things that I'm doing, see how much these people have to post on social media when they serve, they have to add to their Instagram story or post this long thing on Twitter about how humble they are and how what a blessing it is to serve and while it is good uh, to do that maybe really it shows a type of hubris and pride that has to build them up we can't just do great works and be not recognized for it we want to make sure that we get our social media hit of endorphins pat on the back so that we can be seen this is selfish ambition see how they react when they're given a menial task A person who says, oh, I want to serve, and you give them something like just handing out pamphlets or feeding somebody in a food line, and they think, well, really, I deserve more of a position. That shows a heart that is not about service, not about loving obedience to Christ. It is all about selfish ambition. See this person's attitude when things don't go their way. This type of action is what James describes as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. If you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about where all sources of evil come from within our lives, within the world, and we said that there are three sources of evil. It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. These type of actions uh, that are fueled by bitter envy and selfish ambition, James calls as earthly, the world, unspiritual, the flesh, and demonic, the devil. The main sources of evil that we have talked about fuel the types of works that are not wise and fueled by wisdom's gentleness. But, again, what I love about the book of James is that he doesn't just lay down truth and walk away from it, but he offers us a better alternative. He doesn't just say, here are the ways that we shouldn't work, but then he says, here are the ways that are works that come from gentle wisdom. One's fueled by Pureness, no selfish motive whatsoever. Peace loving that aims not to hurt anybody in the process of what we do. Gentleness, actions that affirm others and uplift them. Works that are make uh works that make people compliant. Following through on our word and being agreeable with others, it says uh, that is uh, works that are full of mercy and good fruits, which means graciously accepting others even when they don't deserve it, looking out for the best in everybody, and helping everyone produce human flourishing within their own lives through their relationship with Christ. Then he ends with what he's already been talking about in chapter 2, without favoritism or hypocrisy. The types of works that come from gentle wisdomness are always without favoritism. They're always without hypocrisy. We don't just love people. We don't just act with pureness, peace-loving gentleness, and compliance full of mercy and good fruits to people that we like and people that uh, are easy for us to interact with, but it is for everybody in our lives. And he wraps this idea up with such a great idea in um, the end of chapter 3 in verse 18. He says that basically peace cultivates peace. I think every single one of us in here could say this morning that we want peace in our lives. It's something that we see really uh, within the culture today is that we're uh, bound by anxiety, that we need to control situations in order to find peace and so really if you want to find peace in your life what james here says is plant it do you want peace plant it the circumstances in your life right now are a direct result of what you are planting if you are planting bitterness you're going to receive bitterness if you uh, are planting envy you are going to get envy but If you plant and cultivate peace within your life, you are going to reap peace as well. So, beginning into the first part of chapter 4, if peace cultivates peace, what does life look like when we don't cultivate peace? Again, you probably already know this from your life, but James is gonna go ahead and let you know anyway. He says, what's the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? Fights come among the community of faith because a desire for more than you already have. Why does this person get everything they want in life and I get nothing? I can't answer that for you. I can't answer why people in your life seem to get what they want, but I can tell you what the line of thinking that you have is going to do. The first thing, again, it's going to do is cause bitter envy and selfish ambition that's going to create unnecessary fights within the church. When you operate out of this heart, you ask God, only with the wrong motives, the wrong intentions, and he's not going to give things to you. You fight and war, you murder, you covet, and you cannot uh, obtain, and this is what James is saying here, is that you're asking God for good things, but he's not going to give it to you because you are asking with the wrong motives. Why? Because James 1.17 says that every good and generous act and every perfect gift is from God. James 1.5 says that God is a good giver, that he gives all great gifts, to his people generously but the reason why God's not going to give you good gifts when you ask with the wrong motives and the wrong intentions is because God is not going to give you a good gift that you are going to turn bad a good gift in a bad season is a bad gift and God is never going to give a bad gift giving a recovering alcoholic a bottle of champagne on the anniversary of his sobriety is not a good gift giving a promotion, giving good things in your life to somebody who is fueled by bitter envy and selfish ambition is a bad gift because you're going to use it for your benefit and not for God's glory. You're going to use it for your success, not for human flourishing and the people around you. This type of living is not being Christ-like. It's like living like the world does. James says that the Holy Spirit is jealous for your attention. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, I wonder, have you ever uh, had this weird holy thought while you were sinning? Like you were doing something that you knew was not wise, that was not good, that was not... what James would call perfect, which means being consistent with what you believe. And so you're living in this type of lifestyle. You're doing this sort of action and all of a sudden like a Bible verse comes to your head or for some reason you feel this inner voice tell you it ought not be this way. You shouldn't be doing this. That's what James is talking about when he says that the Holy Spirit is jealous for your attention, that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring you back away from those type of actions. And so when we finally listen God gives grace, he says, but he gives greater grace. This is why God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God is going to resist our petitions when it's about ourselves because it's fueled by pride. Pride is a statue that we build in our own name that looks nothing like us. Humility is the reign dust and wind that sweeps over it eats away at it and reveals all of the imperfections and the holy spirit says that that is what is real and that is what i am after our weaknesses our hardships our humility is where god wants us to live This is where God meets us. Then this is where God starts to teach us what it means to have a controlled mind and heart. It begins really with a three-step process. Submission that shifts to resistance that culminates in intimacy. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. First, submission. You need to submit your pet sin to God. Whatever comes to your mind when I say the pet sin that is in your life, that is what the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to give up. Let humility rush in and sweep it away. Become truly wise by realizing that you are not in control and the better way that you've been looking for your entire life is not going to be made by you, but it is made by submission to God, coming forward to him and saying, God, here's my pet sin. Here's the thing that I don't want to give up, but I know that there's a better way, a way that you have lived. And so I'm going to submit and tell you what that is and give it over to you because I want to live truly wise. This then leads to resistance, resisting the devil. The promise here is that he will flee. Here's a question for you. What if you could have just one victory this week? One victory over the sin in your life. The lie that we tell ourselves is that if I have one victory, it'll only be that one and then I'm gonna go back to that same hole and fall in again and it's not gonna make a difference. Okay, maybe that is a reality. Or, maybe, with God's grace, the only thing standing between you and the path of total freedom is that one victory. The devil doesn't want you to resist him because in the name of Jesus, he has to flee. Perhaps it is time that you and your community walk toward victory together. A part of active resistance is not just coming to God and submitting to Him. It's also letting the people the, in your community, and that doesn't mean 50 people within a college group. That means the two or three people in your life that you are walking with, that you are vulnerable with, and you can come to them and say, hey, I want to submit to God. I want to resist the devil, so let me be honest and vulnerable and tell you about my pet sin, and let me tell you about the things in my life that are not consistent with what I believe. When we do this, it leads to intimacy, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. The promise is that you're not going to be alone. You will hear the Spirit more clearly as you draw near to God in these ways. The church, which is Christ's literal body here on earth, ministers to you because of your transparency and you get to experience the close imminence of God and His good and perfect gifts. What happens for the rest of the beginning here of chapter 4 is that James begins to wrap up this uh, section on a little bit more instruction. He says uh, that as we go through this, we need to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, and shift an attitude um, towards recognizing our sin. Uh, We need to become humble, and this ought to be an emotional process, and that's okay. James actually encourages it to mourn and weep and let our joy turn to sadness because we recognize our state before a holy God. That doesn't mean we stay in that, but recognizing that as we work through our sin and giving it over to God, that is an emotional process and that is okay. You are not supposed to bury your emotions. The spiritual journey is not burying emotions, but rather honoring them, realizing them, working through them, and then walking with them towards victory. And then also we need to give grace to one another. He talks about judging our brothers. We need to give grace to one another as we go through this process and also when we fail each other in this process. Uh, Realizing that uh, I'm going to fail you in community when uh, I become vulnerable to you because I recognize that I'm still going to fail, but then also I come to community knowing that you are going to Um, fail me because there are going to be times that you get frustrated with me and judge me, and uh, James encouragement here is that is not your place. Uh, There's one lawgiver, there's one judge. Um, Our space is to love and serve one another and come into a community with one another to actively walk each other through the path of submission, resistance, uh, and intimacy. And so what do we learn? From this passage in James. Um, really that there are two paths in life. There's the path from above. And the path from below. The path from above is embracing God's power. And depending on him. It means embracing our weaknesses. And abiding in Christ. And this path ultimately leads to love. You see Gandalf. As we talked about at the beginning. Um, he finds true power in understanding his weaknesses. And not allowing himself. To. Um, to be tempted by that weakness, but to deny it and live through that weakness, not in spite of it, Uh, not saying, okay, I'm going to challenge my weakness and put myself in a place where I get to stretch myself and grow. Rather, he realizes where his weakness lies and he lives through that and out of that. Um, For you and me, it's recognizing our weaknesses, not living in spite of them, but living through them, submitting our weaknesses to God and asking him to make us strong. It's what Paul talks about when he says that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. This is the path from above. But then there's also the path from below that really oftentimes is so much more enticing to us. It's a rejection of God's power, and it's a dependence on the self. It's a rejection of weakness in favor of willpower. And this path leads to a need for control that will never be met in your life, which is the definition of anxiety. So the question I have for you today is, what path are you on? Realize it's never too late to cross over and change. Um, But which one will you continue to choose? Because only one leads to a controlled mind and heart, to the flourishing that you desire, and it is the path from above that leads through submission, resistance, and intimacy that ultimately is a living through our weaknesses. And so I hope and pray that that would be the path that you choose.